The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 31 today. We live in a world that is just full of false dichotomies. People will argue that things have to be one way or the other when really there's a lot of nuance, a lot of room for gray. People have really strong opinions like really important things or on really important things like, like should pineapple be on pizza? Um, I can hear, somebody just said, yeah, I can hear Danny Cunningham going, that is not pizza. And he would say, because it's not. Or candy corn. Some of you think that candy corn is a really good idea around Halloween. And others of you are really bright people who know it's a waste when you could have Kit Kats, Reese's Cups, and York peppermint patties. Lots of things we can think about with nuance, and we do really, really well. America right now is doing a great job talking about politics and all the nuance there, being nice to one another, right? But perhaps one of the things that is the most polarizing thing in the world is, is the earth round or is the earth flat? Uh, that there's really no kind of in between there. Either, either it's round or it's flat. Nobody out there thinks that the earth is a square or an oval. It's either round or flat. And I started reading about people who um, think the earth is flat. And I, um, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's, it's not, okay? Uh, so I started reading about Mad Mike Hughes, and when you read a headline that says, daredevil scientist flat earther dies when his homemade rocket crashes, there's a little bit of you that goes, wow. And then you go, no, that's exactly what happens to a daredevil scientist flat earther. So Mike Hughes decided he would build a homemade rocket uh, powered by steam, which is not a good idea. That's what we powered trains with 200 years ago. And he decided that he was going to fly this rocket and eventually he had a plan to launch a rocket from a balloon at 20,000 feet so he could see the Earth's atmosphere and really prove to the world that it was flat. And he raised a lot of money. He big campaign to do that. And he raised almost $8,000. And with that, he built a rocket, steam-powered rocket, and there's even a sign that says so-and-so's building, Tomball, Texas, who built the rocket, which is really bad advertising when your rocket crashes. So when his rocket took off from the back of the 18-wheeler he was launching it from, the parachute caught on the launching device. Apparently, precision is really, really important if you're going to launch a rocket. And uh, he, it, didn't, it didn't go well. He is no longer a daredevil. Um, he's no longer with us. But I got to be honest, when I saw Flat Earther, I just thought this is not going to end well. Now, it's a really easy to understand that that is folly. Um, and if that's not really easy to understand for you, then you should talk to someone. Our, uh, our local outreach pastor, Tim Cartwright, would be a great person for you to email about that. Um, but hear, hear me, nothing is more polarizing than the message of the cross. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 
1.18, he ends our text from last week by saying, Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. And then he says in verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's the most foolish idea in the world, a crucified king, a crucified Messiah. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not things that are literally nothing, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Well, God, we pray today for us that the word of the cross would not be foolishness, that it would not be folly, that it would not seem weak, but know that it would be wisdom and power from you because that is what it is. And God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the beauty of your love for us in Christ Jesus in such a way, God, that all we can do is boast about him who he is and what he does. In Jesus' name, amen. See, in Corinth, wisdom and power were two of the chief idols. Intelligence, understanding how to live, great philosophy in the Greek world. Corinth, just a a short trek from Athens itself. They were worshiped. Because intelligence can make you rich, it can make you powerful. And then even for the poor, for the plebeians, there was a way to power. If you were strong enough, you could boast in your strength as a gladiator and be worshiped and cheered on in the Colosseums. Intelligence and power were the way to go. And the folly of a crucified Messiah seemed odd. But Paul tells us that it's the power of God. He tells us it's the wisdom of God to those of us who are being saved. And then Paul jumps in. He starts this passage 
by quoting the Old Testament and he ends the passage by quoting the Old Testament. And the first scripture he quotes is Isaiah 29, 14. Isaiah 29, 14. And Isaiah 29, 14 says this, therefore behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, wonder upon wonder. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Now why would God say such a thing to his people in Isaiah 29, 14? Well, the answer is found in Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Their hearts are far from me. They have this duplicitous worship. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far. That's what the Jews were doing 700 years before Jesus was born when Isaiah was written. That's what they were doing in Christ's day. That's what many were doing as Paul preached, even Jews in Corinth. So he says, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wives shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Now we hear, God's going to do wonderful things. And we think of that in modern English translation. Oh, well, that sounds great. What's God going to do? This is going to be smashing. It'll be awesome. But this wonder is kind of the old English translation. Wonder upon wonder. I'm going to do wonderful things. It's the sort of wonder that you might have when you look at a category four hurricane that is headed toward a coast And there is nothing anybody can do about those 150 mile per hour winds. The same sort of wonder that you might have if you're in class five rapids. It's great if you're in a raft and everybody's in the raft, but you step off into that water, you will be swept away and there's nothing you can do about it. He says, wonder upon wonder. I'm going to do wonderful things because these people don't actually honor me in their hearts. And the wisdom of their wives will perish and the discernment of their discerning ones shall be hidden. I'm going to shut down their party, God says. See, it's a frightening thing. Another place, Psalm 3310, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. In the Corinthians, many people there in Corinth were honoring God with their lips. As we go through this book, we'll see that, but their hearts were far from him. There's a way that seems right, but the way thereof is the way of death. The word of the cross is folly. It seems foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, there's this earthly wisdom and then there's heavenly wisdom. Colossians 1, 9 through 11. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, of God's will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance, patience with joy. See, there's a sort of wisdom and power that will profit us nothing and there's a sort of wisdom and power that comes from God that helps us know how to live and gives us strength to do it. 
So Paul then says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? There are kind of three categories. Where is the wise person in all of humanity? Where is the scribe? Well, scribe literally means just one who writes things down. But in this context, where is the scribe? Paul's asking the Jews, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law were the scribes. So he's saying, where is the scribe when it comes to the the message preached? Where is the one who writes things down? Where is the teacher of the law? And then where is the debater of this age? Where is the Greek philosopher? Where is his wisdom? Because human wisdom will not triumph in the face of God. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through its wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It's God's idea. It pleased him to do this. It pleased him that through the folly of this message of a crucified Messiah to save those who believe. Well, what is the folly of the message? Well, Jesus Christ, we hear that and we think Christ is his last name and it's not. It's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, which means king. Jesus was the coming savior king that the Jews were waiting for and they were waiting for him to triumph over Rome. The Greeks knew what an emperor looked like. They were powerful. But a crucified king is an oxymoron. It makes no sense. It's a great paradox. Kings crucified, they don't get crucified. A crucified king would be a failure. So Paul says it pleased God through the folly of the message that we preach to save those who believe. And see, if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, this would be folly. And we're gonna read this and look through it over 30 weeks, but it's, but it's one letter that Paul wrote to one church, 16 chapters, but one letter. And it starts with the word of the cross and it ends with the resurrection of Jesus. And, and Paul says, if, if there's no resurrection, our preaching is useless, it is folly. And so is your faith. But indeed, Christ has risen from the dead. So this word of the cross is not just a word of crucifixion, but it's a word that leads to resurrection. But it's so confusing. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Jews demanded signs and goodness, God had given plenty of them. He had given plenty of them. Even to Jesus, they demanded signs. And he says, I'll give you no sign but the sign of Jonah who was in the belly of the whale for three days and then he came up out of it. His feeding the 5,000, his healing the sick, his raising the dead wasn't enough of a sign. The fact that he taught in a way that people would say, no one ever spoke like this man. That wasn't enough. Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. Tell us about his intellect. Tell us about his thinking. Wait, he was crucified? Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Well, why is it a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles rather than a stumbling block to Gentiles and folly to Jews. It's because of the sort of people that they were. And if you look even in the world today, the message of the cross, 
The message of the cross is a stumbling block. It remains a stumbling block to Jews. It's a stumbling block to Muslims who don't believe that God would crucify his son and they embrace kind of this moral, this law obedience. I'll do enough good to make myself pleasing in God's sight. It's folly maybe to Hindus or to tribals and even in our own town. It's folly to some and it's stumbling block to others. We need to talk about these words, stumbling block and folly for the Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews, a stumbling block to Jews. Now that word really matters because when we think stumbling block, we think something like this where someone clumsy like me might, might trip over it. That is not what Paul is talking about. It's not just an easy tripping and you get back up and recover. The word stumbling block is actually the word scandalon, where we get the word scandal. The crucified king was a scandal. It was a scandalon. The verb form of scandalon is found in Matthew 18. When Jesus in verse six says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, to stumble, it's the same word in verb form. It would be better for him if a millstone were put around his neck and he'd be cast into the heart of the sea. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, get rid of it. It's better to enter heaven with one hand or one foot than to have both hands and feet and go into hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, rip it out. Better to enter heaven with one eye than to enter hell with two eyes. This word stumble, this scandalon or stumbling block, it's the idea that you're gonna fall, this is gonna knock you over and you will never recover from it. And hear this, if you encounter the living God through his son Jesus Christ, you will never ever get over it. You'll be changed forever not because he's a stumbling block, because he's the power of God, the wisdom of God for all those who believe they couldn't wrap their minds around a crucified king because the Messiah was going to save them. Those who were crucified were cursed. The Hebrew scripture said in the Old Testament, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Crucifixion was for those cursed by God. And what they didn't understand is that Jesus became a curse for us when he took his, our sin upon himself on the cross. It was a stumbling block. It was a stumbling block to the Greeks. It was folly. This makes no sense. Surely we can figure out God if we're just smart enough. And the idea that a king would be crucified, you can hear it. Come on, haven't you? Haven't you heard of the Pax Romana? If you haven't heard, the Pax Romana was a piece of Rome in 31 BC. Caesar Augustus instituted the Pax Romana, which meant there would be peace in all the lands that Rome had conquered. And that peace was held together with an iron fist and a strong hand. And see, the emperor didn't get crucified. He did the crucifying of insurrectionists, of criminals. It was folly. It was folly and it's the sort of folly that was played out even in graffito in Rome. Here's, here's some graffito in Rome. Alexamenos worships his God. That's what this says in Latin. And you can see if you look closely, there's a guy worshiping 
a crucified God, but it's not the head of a man, it's the head of a donkey. See, that's the popularity of Christianity, the wisdom of Christianity in first century Rome. Only a fool would worship a crucified king. But it's through the folly of the message preached that God chose to save those who believe. Well, how foolish would you have to be? As I was reading this text, it reminded me of a conversation I had about 16 or 17 years ago. I had begun to travel and speak across the southern United States and into Europe doing mission trips. And, and I had a family member that did not like that idea. He was agnostic and he was concerned for me. And so uh, we were having a bunch of folks together one night and he sat down to talk to me and we're sitting across a coffee table, a sofa, and he talked to me about what I needed to do with my life. And, and he mentioned this really honorable profession, a good profession, a fine profession. It would be a fine thing to do. And he said, you really ought to stop preaching and do this. It'd be better for your family. It would be better for you. It'd be a really honorable thing. And I was listening, trying to be polite and listen. And I just said, look, I really appreciate that. But I don't know if you really understand. There's no way I cannot preach. There's no way I cannot talk about Jesus Christ. This is, this is what he's made me to do. It's what I'm going to do. I can't not do this. Even if I got the job that you want me to have, this is what my life would be about. And he just looked at me and without batting an eye, I said, what a waste. And our tears just began to roll down my eyes. And he goes, oh, well, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. <laughs> uh, and uh, apparently if someone tells you your life is a waste, that shouldn't hurt your feelings. <laughs> But my response, I think, surprised him. I said, oh, I'm, I'm not crying for me. I'm, I'm crying for you. See, the, the scripture says that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are gonna perish. And I just dearly love you. Still love him. He's really old. Pray for him. He doesn't know Jesus. And you think my life is a waste because you're gonna perish. And you might be here today and hear the word of the cross and you think this is foolish. And part of the reason God put me here today is to tell you and warn you, it's folly not to believe. See, this Jesus who was crucified for your sin and for my sin, he rose from the dead. And what we're gonna find out in this book is that a lot of people saw him. We have tons of eyewitness testimony. If we were trying to convict Jesus of being risen from the dead, it would be really easy to do so. The word of this cross will save all who believe. See, Jews, it's a stumbling block and it's folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. There's this work God does in our hearts when he's drawing us to himself, to the called. It's the power of God and the wisdom of God. Same way in verse nine of chapter one, Paul says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son. To those who are called Jews and Greeks, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. It transforms who we are. And just like the Jews for whom the message of the cross was a stumbling block, we never get over it. We never get over it. It's the power of God. And it transforms our life. It means that we then live 
a crucified life. God made the knowledge of him only possible through the word of the cross. Those who would seek to find him by their own wisdom will not. The cross will seem foolish if you try to come to God through wisdom, intelligence, your own reasoning abilities. And see what it does is it flips wisdom and power on their heads. And the world, we're told to run after wisdom and to run after power. But to follow this crucified king is really to lay down our lives for others. It's to lay down our lives for others so the cross just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what love is. There's no greater love than this that that a man lays down his life for his friends. And then we're told to love our brothers, our neighbors, and our enemies. So for Jews to love Gentiles back in this day or Gentiles to love Jews would have been the strangest thing in the world. I mean, you want me to die to myself and love who? So if you think about this in America, you want me to love who? Well, maybe in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up, it might be you, well, you want me to love Russians, right? That was the enemy when I was growing up or, or after 9-11, it might've been, wait, you want me to love Muslims? That was a question that people were actually asking. Now it might be, you want me to love those people I hate on Facebook? Or those people who hate me? And yeah, this is actually a call to die to ourselves, to love those maybe that we find most unlovable because here are these people crucifying Jesus. That's what it means to live a crucified life. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The compassion of God for those crucifying his son. And here's what we know. If we're to follow Jesus, God's will for us is that we would be transformed into his likeness. So we'll die daily, as Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and deny himself and follow me. Following Jesus means living a crucified life. For Jew and Gentile alike, whether you hoped in morality or whether you hoped in logic or wisdom, wisdom and power from God come to those that God calls through Christ Jesus, God's foolishness and weakness are collectively wiser and stronger than humanity's best. That's what Paul says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What in the world, if you imagine, if you imagine that, if you imagine weakness in God and there's no greater way to imagine that than Jesus on a cross. The weakness of God is stronger than men and the foolishness of God is more powerful than men. Just at the moment when when Satan and the enemies of God and, and the Jews thought they had Jesus. Right at that moment, the power and wisdom and love of God are being expressed in the cross of Jesus Christ in a way that all of humanity would never get over. See, this cross is gonna be our boast And Paul says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised, even things that are not, to bring the nothing, the things that are. So that our boasts would be in the Lord. Consider your calling. Not many of you were noble. So I texted our elders this week I just said, hey, what did, what did your dad do? I wanted to find out. I know some of those guys have this great biblical 
wisdom, but I wondered, was anybody of noble birth? I'll tell you in just a second why I wondered that. So what I found out is that we had a guy who, his dad was a union buster in the Northeast. We had a guy who bought and sold food for a company. We had a, a guy whose dad was a furniture salesman, somebody who was a trumpet player and music teacher. Um, we had a, a guy who was a probation officer, one guy who um, brought his family from one of the poorest nations on earth over to the States. We had a, um, all these different things, not many of noble birth. And I get to serve along these, these guys and our staff, and I know how God is at work in them. Not many of them are of noble birth, but, uh, but just so you know, I am actually a Scottish lord. Um, it's okay to clap, okay? Uh, so a friend of mine bought a piece of land for me in Scotland that's designated by the Queen of England, and so that actually makes me a Scottish lord. It's a small piece of land. It's a foot by a foot. Um, so I've, I've heard of these tiny houses. I'm thinking of building a really tiny house on it, right? Um, I, I know what you're all wondering. You, you can still call me Chase, okay? See, I'm, I'm the, why are you laughing? Uh, I am uh, the son of a coach and administrative assistant. See, God chose the foolish things in the world to confound the wise, and there's a reason he did it. There's a reason that he did it. Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He chose what is foolish to shame the wise. He did this on purpose. He saves those who believe so that no one can boast in his presence. Why? Because he gets the boast and we get the blessing. He gets the glory, we get the grace. He gets the fame, we get unmerited favor. He gets the honor and we get the help. He gets the praise and we get the provision. So we boast in the Lord. We boast in the Lord. And so our boast in the Lord and in the word of the cross just grows. I think this is a great picture. Um, when, I, when I'm preaching, I usually email three or four ladies, three or four men in our body and just ask them a couple of questions. There might be things that I'm missing in the text that I wanna see. One of our elders' wives sent me this graph this week and I thought it was a great picture of what happens when we get saved, when we trust Christ, when we put our hope in him, as we grow in Christ, we have this growing awareness of the holiness of God and a growing awareness of our own sin and flesh. And so what happens is the cross just gets bigger and bigger and bigger in our lives and our boast becomes less about self because we understand two things, how great God is and how small we are and how holy God is and how much help we need. So we boast in the cross as we live a crucified life. We boast in the cross as we live a crucified life and this flows, our boasting in the cross just flows out of God's love for us in the crucified Jesus. God's love for us in the crucified Jesus overflows in our lives to make us boast in him. So according to this text, just real quick, four ways God loved us, according to this text. First, he loved us by, 
by being pleased to save us by his grace through faith. Verse 21, it pleased God. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. God loved us by being pleased to save us by his grace. Second, second God loved us by calling us to himself. Verse 24, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Jew and Gentile, all of humanity. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So God loved us by being pleased to save those who believe. He loved us by calling us to himself. He loved us by being the source of our life in Christ. Verse 30, he is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. And then he loved us by making Jesus our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made. God made his son Jesus our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. And this is an amazing thing. God made Jesus wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption for us. Now, the order of these is a little bit odd. He made him our wisdom. He, he's given us understanding because in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He made, him, he made him our righteousness. We are justified through faith in him. We trust in his death on the cross to make us right with God. But then it says our sanctification and our redemption. Now, as we read that, we would tend to think, well, why isn't redemption before sanctification? Because sanctification happens after we come to faith in Jesus. But the answer is, that's not the redemption it's talking about. So he's told us he's called us and he's going to sanctify us. He's going to make us like God. We said last week that saints, God's people, are people set apart by God for God. He will sanctify us. This Corinthian church with all kinds of problems was going to be made blameless in the day of Christ. And so will I and so will you if you're in Christ Jesus. He made him our sanctification and then our redemption. Paul is tying this to resurrection. You might just write down Romans 8, 23 and 24. Romans 8, 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies. All those who have died in Christ when Jesus returns will be raised and we will be with him forever. He's our sanctification and he's our redemption. This work will be completed. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Well, Paul starts this text by quoting the Old Testament and he ends this text by quoting the Old Testament. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. See, that's what the Jews in Corinth and the Gentiles in Corinth did. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. See, the Jews would boast in the power of being saved through morality. Those plebeians who became gladiators, they'd make their boast in their strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these things I delight. So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now we all we all know those people that all they ever talk about is one thing. 
all they ever talk about is college football. All they ever talk about is their 30 pairs of shoes. All they ever talk about is shopping. All they ever talk about is hunting and fishing. I don't think there's much wrong with talking about fishing, but some of you might. All they ever talk about is this. All they ever talk about is that. And I just, yesterday was closing my eyes, just some time with the Lord, just thinking, and God, what would, what would Temple, Texas look like? If the people of this church and just other churches in our area who are knowing and following Christ, if just people just said, my gosh, all they ever talk about is this crucified and risen Jesus. They cannot stop talking. I mean, they just all the time, ad nauseum, that's all they ever speak of. They, they just can't stop. That, that's, that's the sort of word that I think could go out that might just be able to transform a city. In fact, in the first century, because of these people who couldn't stop boasting in Jesus, it, it transformed the world. Let's pray. Well, the word of the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God, and we thank you for that. God, I pray for those today that are wrestling with whether this is true or not. God, I pray you'd give them eyes to see the beauty of salvation in Jesus Christ, that you'd draw them to yourself and you'd save all those who believe today. And God, I pray with affection and love and care that we would boast about Jesus all the time and everywhere and that our city would be transformed as we grow as a people who know Jesus together. In his name we pray, amen.